Hey, welcome to ACF Church, and we're so glad that you're with us watching this message online. And our hope is that it would encourage you to be more like Jesus and walk closely with Him as an apprentice of Christ. And our hope is to give away all of these resources for free as much as possible. It takes a lot of time and energy and people to make that happen. And if you'd like to support the mission of God financially for ACF Church, you can go to acfak.org and you can give there. Now enjoy the Word of God proclaimed. ACF, 11 o'clock. We're so glad that you're here. I want to say happy Father's Day to all the fathers that are out there this morning. Can we give them a hand and just celebrate them? I just wanted you to clap because I'm a father, so that just made me feel really good. So thank you. I hope you feel good as well for being here. I'm Stuart. I'm one of the pastors here at ACF Church, uh, and we are so excited that you are here. And you've heard it a few times already, and maybe you've talked to some of the First Impression team that have been here And they're just saying it's awesome that you are here. And we want to celebrate, really, the fact that you've taken a step to come back into community in a time when it maybe not not is so easy to do that. And so I just want to acknowledge that there may be people in our room today, and I know there are. This is your first time back in a crowd today, and that's a big step. And I just want to say thank you for taking that step to to, to rejoin the ACF family. And I also want to acknowledge, though, that there are those who can't be here for whatever reason, whether their work would, would have to exclude them for a time or for health reasons, they can't be here or they're just not ready. And we want to let you know that we care about you. We love you. We hope you're streaming online right now. Uh, and, and on that note, we just want to say hi to those who are watching online, uh, to Brent, Brent and Liz in the Czech Republic. We want to say uh, welcome uh, to you guys as well. Thank you for being a part of our family, whether you're here personally and physically or whether you are watching online in your living room or somewhere else. So just glad to have us all together as one big family this morning. And we are continuing our series Flipped Upside Down. And in a world that is really uh, full of chaos and seeking meaning and answers to all kinds of evils and, and issues, Jesus really tells us that this world has been designed to operate very differently. The things that our culture will tell us have meaning and value, Jesus says those things really won't bring you happiness, joy, meaning, or lasting change. Heaven really is a kingdom that has been turned upside down. And last week, Pastor Brian continued on in our series by looking at Matthew chapter 5, verse 6, which says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. And today we're going to continue on looking at at the next verse, Matthew chapter 5, verse 7. And so if you have your Bible with you, I'm going to encourage you to go ahead and open that up. Uh, you maybe don't have your Bible, physical Bible, but you have your phone, and there's uh, Bible apps you can get on there. You can download the ACF app, and on that app, uh, you can also uh, find Scripture. There's talk sheets as well, so you can follow along and take some notes as well. Uh, I've been doing that where you can type in there, and then you can send it to yourself, and you have a record right there, which is a really cool way to take it, uh, take the notes. So We're going to read uh, Matthew chapter 5, verse 7. So read this with me. It says, 
Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. That's our verse for today. Super short, super simple verse, right? Can I be honest with you guys? I didn't hear any response whatsoever. Yes, I hope you're thinking you probably should be honest with us, but I may get a little too honest, all right? When I hear mercy, blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. There's something inside of me that says, I want mercy. I want to receive mercy when I don't deserve it, right? I want, I want to have people look past whatever I've done and give me mercy, but I want you to receive justice. I want other people to get justice. I think we live in a culture that really breeds this, this idea, and I know I've grown up in a culture that, that breeds the idea that people should, should give revenge to those who maybe deserve mercy, or, or when you see something that's unjust in our world that we want to exact our revenge on that. And so I was thinking back just personally what that looks like in my life, and I, this last week, on Wednesday morning, in fact, I watched a video uh, scrolling through Facebook, uh, kind of mindlessly doing that as I sip my second cup of coffee in the morning. And I saw a dude uh, in a video, and he's walking down the street, and he's kind of stumbling. And I don't know if he was high, drunk, whatever, or just having trouble walking, but he was not doing well. And a dog came up and started barking at him. And so he takes a swinging roundhouse kick at the dog. And luckily he missed, and he swung himself all the way around and then flat on his back. And I just laughed, and I was like, he got what he deserved. I can remember pulling into a parking lot uh, and being cut off by somebody else, and I just intuitively knew that we were both after the same prime spot that we could see on the other side of the lot. So I raced around and slid it on into the parking spot ahead of him, and he had to go right on by. And I thought, you just got what you deserve. If I'm driving down the Glen and I'm cruising along maybe a little bit above the speed limit, not that I ever do, but if I did, I hope I get mercy when I see the state trooper, right? But I'm hoping that if you fly by like an Indy, Indianapolis 500 racer, I'm really hoping that you're going to be on the shoulder pulled, pulled over in front of a state trooper, and I will laugh, and I will say, you got what you deserved, sucka, right? <laughs> and if I have to be honest with my heart, on the Black Friday sales after Thanksgiving, I hope I get the doorbuster prize, and I'm kind of hoping in the back of my mind that you don't. I want the mercy. I want justice for other people. And I think, I don't know if you can relate to that. But before we move on, now that you know the darkness of my heart, and you're like, I'm not sure I want to learn from this dude, uh, I want to define a couple terms in this verse. And the first one is blessed. And this is, blessed means to be happy because you've been given good reason to be happy. Basically, you've been given everything that you need in order for you to be happy. You can choose to whether or not to be happy, but you've been given all of the reasons, so you get to make that choice, but you have all those reasons. At, at our house, the Poteet household, uh, we have sometimes when I'm a, a little bit lazy, maybe I'll have to admit if I'm honest about why this usually occurs, is we have what we call free-for-all dinners. And free-for-all dinner means that I sit on the living room sofa and tell my kids it's free-for-all, and they get to go make their own food. And that is an awesome blessing for my kids, unless we haven't gone to the store in a while, and there's like wheat cereal and whole wheat bread, and there's no like anything yogurt in the refrigerator. There's no Pop-Tarts. 
But if we've got like cinnamon toast crunch and we've got the little dinosaur shaped chicken nuggets and plenty of sauces and maybe some pot stickers and we've got like the, I don't even know what flavors because I can't stand the flavored yogurts, but my kids love them, like the chocolate cake and the donuts and the, I don't know, sparkles and sprinkles and whatever those things are. They love those things. And if we have all that and we say free for all, they feel blessed. They have everything that they need to be happy. They can still not like it, but they usually celebrate when they have all the sugar stuff. So that's the idea of blessing. Uh, the next word is mercy. And I wanted to find mercy. And I saw this, I think this is a Webster's Dictionary version or uh, definition. Mercy is showing compassion or forgiveness towards someone when you have the authority to punish or harm them. When you've been given the authority or you're in a position to harm or hold accountable somebody else and you choose not to, that's mercy, right? That's mercy. So when I moved from Colorado to Tucson, I was single still. This was a while ago. Uh, I'd been living in Colorado for a few years and I was moving back uh, to where I had grown up. And I moved into one of those little track homes that looks exactly like all the other homes. And it was small. It was a perfect little house for me. And you have to understand something. Like today in Tucson, it's supposed to get up to 108 degrees. And so I don't know if you realize this. Like here, if you do nothing, you'll at least get grass and weeds will grow in your yard. There, nothing grows at 108 degrees. It's just you got to water it so much that you can't afford it. So what they do is they have these like quarter size decorative rock. And you can get them in different colors. We had, I had kind of like a pink... I'm sure it was supposed to be like salmon color or something, but it was just rock in my front yard, and there was one tree, and that was it. That was decorated. Well, about two weeks in, I get a letter from the Homeowners Association, and I was like, they're welcoming me to the neighborhood. They're introducing me to the community. I love this. And I open it up, and it was detailing the four weeds that I had in my yard that I had neglected to pull. And I was really upset because I felt like I should have gotten mercy, and I didn't. I was held accountable for something, um, which started a wonderful relationship I had with the HOA. But the opposite is true too, right? When we think somebody maybe should not have gotten mercy and they got mercy. Like when somebody maybe got probation and we really feel like because of what we know about the crime, they should have been put in prison for a long time. Or if if you're like me and you had siblings and it seems like I couldn't catch a break with my parents, right? But my, my brothers, like... They were invisible when they were doing wrong to my parents. And so it felt like they should have gotten punished and they got mercy instead. And it just felt very unfair. And I think there's an innate feeling of, we know inside us when these things are out of balance. And we're going to talk a little bit about that today. And I don't know what, when you hear the word mercy, what kind of conjures up in your head, what you think about, what, what that draws to your mind. Uh, but, but I'm excited that we serve a God who has given us instruction about mercy. And then if we want to look into that, that he will give us instruction on how we should live our lives and how we should should interact with other people in our world. And I want to look, um, we're going to go to, if you want to get there, uh, Luke chapter 10 is where we're headed. But Jesus encounters a very smart man, and the, the man is a lawyer, and and I just want to kind of aside, if you're a lawyer, I still love you, right? And, but I do will say, I've never met somebody who is a lawyer that I didn't think was the most brilliant person on the planet. Like, I have been super impressed. I think it takes a, a, a unique personality of somebody who can retain a, a, an insane amount of information and process it really well. 
Uh, so that's the kind of person that's coming to Jesus. He's, he's a lawyer, and he has a conversation with Jesus. And we, we pick it up in Luke chapter 10, starting in verse 25. And it says in verse 25, And behold, a lawyer stood up and put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said to him, this is Jesus saying to him, Well, what is written in the law? How do you read it? And, he, and the lawyer answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your strength, and with all of your mind, and, the, and your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said to him, You have answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. But he, the lawyer, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? And so just want to look at a couple of things here. A lawyer back then would have been similar and a little different than a lawyer nowadays. A lawyer, this guy would have been a Jew, and he would have known uh, Jewish law all the way back to the, to the law of Moses when it was given. He would have studied that, also the Levitical law, law that was added, kind of practical law. He would have known that. He also would have studied and known all the case law from that time to the time that he was actually alive. And he would have been able to answer those things. And so if people would have come to him and either hired him or sought his opinion when they were defending themselves or if they had a, a, an issue with somebody else to see if, what did the law say about it. And this man was an expert in that, and that was his job. Uh, people would come to him with their disputes, and he would work to help them out. And I think the lawyer here is not trying to, it says test him. He came to Jesus to test him. And that word test in English really sounds like it's adversarial. And I think, I don't know if that's the reason. I don't think he came just to show Jesus a fraud or to try to, like, discredit him. Uh, This is more of, he, he, I think, was looking at maybe one of two two ideas here is Jesus was, or the, the lawyer was coming to him as an expert to see, like, is Jesus for real? Like, is, is he who he says he is? Is he, does he know his stuff? Like, I just want to see, like, is he a good, yeah, I've heard he's a good teacher, but how good? Because I know I'm a good teacher. How good is this Jesus? Um, but I also think maybe he's coming for, like, let me establish some pecking order. Like, people respect me before, respected me before you showed up, Jesus. I want to make sure that we maintain that I am the one that people come to, to, to ask opinions of, not you. So I think there may be a little bit of that as well. Um, I think the, the, by the lawyer asking, what must I do to inherit eternal life? He's asking a question that we may, we may ask but not verbalize, and that's the, give me the sandbox in which I can play to please God. What do I have to do just in order to make God happy with my life, right? And I think Jesus does a, a really interesting thing here. He doesn't directly answer. When the, when the lawyer says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus says, well, well, what do you think? How do you read the law? You're, you're a, smart, a smart person. What do you think? And he, he turns it around. He's not avoiding the question, but he's, he's really changing the dynamic of the conversation. Had Jesus just answered here, then he's in a debate now with a, an expert in the law. Not that Jesus would be, be fearful of that, but then it puts the lawyer in a position of answering or evaluating Jesus' response, where now he's turned it. What do you think? So now Jesus gets to evaluate the lawyer's response. And so I think it's a very wise move. And if you're a parent in here, um, you've maybe experienced this. If you're not, and someday you might be a parent, listen up for just a second. Here's some free advice that I want to try to pass along for what it's worth. Sometimes when you're a parent, your little kids, like say a three- or a four-year-old, will ask you questions 
that stop you dead in your tracks and you're not sure, you start to sweat because you're not sure how to answer that question. Like, Daddy, where do babies come from? And you stop because you're, like, you're doing mental like, calculations in your head trying to figure out, like, how do I respond to this? And you can respond by getting a piece of paper and doing diagrams and, and, and pictures and giving a full biological explanation. Or a wise parent learns, sometimes through bad experience, just ask the question, why are you asking that question? So you turn it and you just ask because you want more information about what's driving this. And sometimes you just get a response of, well, I was watching a cartoon and a stork was dropping babies into people's backyards. Is that where I came from? So you didn't have to go through all the other explanation. All you really wanted to, needed to say was, no, you came from mommy's belly or God gave you to us. And then they go, okay, and they move on. You don't even have to address the issue at that point. So Jesus is changing the tenor of the conversation. And Jesus is really driving something deeper here. He's after, he's describing really what will amount to a mission. Um, he is putting, he's visioning something different than just rote obedience to the law. And when the lawyer answers and he says, well, this is what I see, how, how I inherit eternal life. This is what I see of the law is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. It may sound familiar because Jesus was asked that very question elsewhere in Scripture, and that's almost verbatim the answer that he gives. So Jesus responds with, you nailed it, A+. plus." Like, that is exactly this. If you had to summarize all of the law, all the little case studies and law things that have been written and all the, the traditions of men, if you had to summarize all those down to one statement, you just hit it out of the park, nailed it. Unbelievable. And so the lawyer is probably feeling pretty good up until Jesus says, do this and you will live. And I think I relate to this a lot because I like to keep things up here in the theoretical. I want to argue the idea, but I don't want your idea to have to translate into action on my part. And so the lawyer, I think, is trying to keep it up here in the intellectual. What do we know? And Jesus is doing something different. He's turning the conversation and he's driving it towards his heart something personal and practical. Let's take it from the theoretical and move it down. And so he says, do this and you will live. Now think about what he just said to do. Love the Lord your God with everything you are and love your neighbor as yourself. Anybody accomplishing that in your life? I'm a failure at that. I'm just gonna be honest with you. I feel like daily I am a failure. I will commit to be the peacemaker in my household in the morning as I'm praying to God and the reality is, by the time I hit my first cup of coffee, I've already yelled at somebody in my house. That's me. And I think that's ultimately us. And I think the lawyer, when he hears that, has that moment, momentary realization of, it's no longer theoretical. It's no longer informational. I can't live up to this. That standard is too great for me to accomplish. So I think he does what a lot of us do. He, ha he tries to define a smaller sandbox, one in which he can at least maybe make some progress or one in which maybe he hopes he's already accomplishing. Who's my neighbor, Jesus? So he just skips over the love God with all you, all you are, with every part of you, never missing a beat. And he goes right to the neighbor thing, like, well, maybe I can win this conversation or, or drive it back to something that I can accomplish and have a checklist in order to win here. So well, who's my neighbor, right? 
Jesus, again, the lawyer is trying to keep it up here theoretical, and Jesus is driving it, again, personal. Not just to the lawyer, but even to us. And so there's two things that I, I think are important that as we maybe take a pause and then we'll continue on and see how Jesus responds here. And the first is, knowing what to do but not doing it is not following Jesus. Knowing what to do and not following it is not following Jesus. The lawyer knew what to do. He knew how to, how to inherit eternal life. He knew how to please God, right? But he, he wasn't doing it. We can only assume by the response and the, the interaction. And so this is the second thing. Knowing what to do and doing it is. We don't necessarily always like to talk about actions. because We go, what about faith? What about faith only? And that Jesus isn't talking about this, salvation is by faith only because that's, that's what it is. But that, that, that when you understand the truths of God, they will start to change who you are to the point where it will start to leak out in your actions. You can't help but respond differently when you've received that kind of love and mercy from God. It will change who you are. Following Jesus is far more than a theory. It doesn't throw out the theory. It doesn't throw out the intellect. But it will drive you to do something. So to answer the lawyer's question, Jesus tells a story. And he tells a story that we call a parable. And a parable is just a story with a point or a message. And it just happens to be probably the most at least recognizable or maybe famous story in Scripture. The, The story of the Good Samaritan is what we call it. And so I want to read and continue on how Jesus answers, well, who is my neighbor, is the question posed to Jesus. So he decides, let let me answer. In verse 30 of Luke chapter 10, Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. And so just to start with, that's 18 miles distance from Jerusalem to Jericho. Jerusalem was on a higher elevation than Jericho, so literally you were going down. And Jerusalem was a place that was plentiful. The weather systems were great, but by the time it got down over the mountain and into the valley where Jericho was, it was desolate. And I can relate to that. We mentioned Tucson earlier. I know that if you go even 15, 20 miles outside of Tucson, you are in a a wasteland may not be the way to describe it, but you're in a place where water is hard to find, shade is hard to find, people are hard to find. Nobody's out there unless they have some business to be out there. They're not just taking a stroll uh, out into the um, desert of Tucson, and, and same here uh, near Jerusalem towards Jericho. So about 18 miles, and so he's telling a story. A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. And the, the assumption would have been that this man was a Jewish man because the lawyer who comes to Jesus uh, is a Jewish lawyer. Jesus is a Jew, and so the assumption would be that the main character in the story would also be of an Israelite or a Jewish person, right? And I can't read that last line. I'm sorry. I just have to go on a sidetrack. Leaving him half dead, and I just can't hear that without thinking of the princess bride when they say, he's mostly dead. And so this guy's doing a little bit better um, than Wesley on his deathbed, but um, that's what I think of. Sorry. So verse 31, now by chance... A priest was going down the road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, 
when he came to the place and saw him pass by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. So I just want to help, like, maybe understand a little bit about this story. Like, priests, Levites, they don't mean that much um, necessarily in our culture, or Samaritan even. So I want to define maybe a little bit who these people are. A priest was somebody who was responsible for in uh, the, the Jewish religious uh, environment of caring for people, communicating the words of God, really having the heart. He was ultimately challenged to share the heart of God with people, to be that go-between uh, between God and people, right? So he, the heart would have been the, the, the idea with him. And he would have been in the story, as the listeners were hearing, the most likely to stop. But yet Jesus says he just walked on by. In fact, he went to the other side and walked on by. And then the Levite, uh, a Levite is like the helper to what's going on in the temple. So they're the ones who are going around feverishly behind the scenes, making sure everything is as it should be. So they were more focused on tasks, but in the story, the second most likely to help. And the Samaritan, the Samaritans were a people that were hated by the Jews. They were half Jews. They were, they were, by the Jews were considered half breed. And this is why, because if you know the history of Israel, there used to be a united kingdom. All the, all the tribes of, of Israel were one big happy family, right? If you can say that. And I say it tongue-in-cheek because they were never really a happy family because they liked to fight just like our families. But at, one point, at some point, that kingdom divided into the northern tribes and the southern tribes. And eventually, the northern tribes decided to kind of do their own thing religious-wise. They got their own copy of the Torah. They started their own places to worship. They started intermarrying with the people around them, and they started taking the culture that God had called them into and just doing whatever with the culture around them. And then in about 700-ish B.C., the Assyrians came in and captured the northern tribe completely and carried off most of the people and left just a very small amount of the Jewish people in Israel in the northern, northern region. And they decided to... I'm assuming for protection and just way of life, they just decided to become really part of the culture around them and intermarrying the Assyrians and taking on their belief system. And so there was no uh, love lost between the Samaritans and the Jews. They just hated each other. They, they just looked down on each other. They didn't want anything to do with each other. And so in the story, a Samaritan would have been the last person on the planet who would have been expected to render aid or even notice the person on the ground. And so I'm trying to think, like, what this was like in our time. So the priest would be like maybe Pastor Brian, the person most likely to render help, right? He's the guy who's in charge of our vision here. He's leading us as a, a church family. So that, that's him. And so he just, Pastor Brian, this callous man that he is, just walked right on by. And then we've got, I don't know if, if you, any of you are part of the first impression team here at ACF Church? Anyone part of, yeah, I hear a few. See a few hands. So if the leader of our first impression team is Colleen McGeorge, and uh, she is an amazing woman, uh, just like Pastor Brian is a very caring, amazing man. Um, but I'm just using them as an illustration. But all the stuff that you see behind you, or uh, much of the stuff, uh, were done by the First Impression team before you arrived to church today. And they work feverishly so that you don't realize that they're doing all the things that they're doing. But they're making the mechanics of ACF on Sunday morning happen, as, as are other teams. But the Levite would be like Colleen McGeorge. 
or Colleen would be like the Levite. And so the Samaritan, I was trying to think of what that's like in our, in our culture, and I was trying to think of a, groups of people that historically have had an enormous amount of friction. And so with, without making a judgment on, on this, I just wanted to, to maybe illustrate it so we have a, 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 a framework to operate under. It'd be like Christians and Muslims, because of the historic tension that they, they exhibit towards each other, the Samaritans would be like a Christian coming along a Muslim or a Muslim coming along and finding a Christian. And that's the story that Jesus is setting up here. It's countercultural and it's kind of crazy. But I want to continue to read here. So it says in verse 33, but a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. And he went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And so the first thing is, there was nothing out in that area. So he had to travel quite a ways to get to somewhere where there was an inn where he could take care of him. And then the next thing in verse 35, and the next day, so he spent the night taking care of this man who historically they would have been enemies, but in the story they are not. So the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. You might be saying, well, what's a denarii? Because I've never exchanged money to a denarii. Well, a denarii was basically uh, a unit of, of money that was about a day's wage. So depending on your, your earning level, you could be maybe 100 bucks to maybe 1,000 bucks. And so if a couple days' wages, if it's multiple, it's uh, plural here, so maybe it's a couple hundred bucks all the way to a couple thousand bucks. This guy has already laid out. And he gave them to the innkeeper saying, take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. So he went above and beyond. He's like, just make sure this guy is okay. So then Jesus brings it back into this conversation with the lawyer. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? And the lawyer said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. And I, I want to point out, the lawyer asked, who is my neighbor? And Jesus answers, this is how you are a neighbor. So Jesus is, again, driving this from an intellectual pursuit down into something that's personal and practical and making it a heart issue here. And I, thought, I know any lawyer worth their weight can come up with anybody, because we are really good at coming up with excuses, right? So I don't want to pick on lawyers again. Um, but... He could have come up, I'm sure, in his mind, probably had it spinning, of a, of a bunch of excuses why the, the priest and the Levite in Jesus' story would have just passed on by. Maybe they were on an important temple mission, and they couldn't be interrupted. Maybe they were on their way to perform a wedding, and they were in nice robes, and they wouldn't want to get you know, bloody and dirty, and that, was just, that would just ruin the wedding. So, of course, they would just pass on by. Maybe they didn't have medical expertise, and so what could they actually possibly offer to this person? Their expertise was in things of God, not of, not of you know, helping somebody bleeding and on the side of the road, right? What would their friends think? What would other people think if they were, you know, dealing with that? Maybe they would think they did it to them, so, they, you know, that would ruin their reputation, and their reputation and character is an important thing in the community. Maybe the robbers could still be around, and this could be uh, an opportunity or, or a predicament where they could get hurt as well. So they needed to hurry along because they have other people that need their attention. But the lawyer's pretty smart, and he doesn't go for any of those excuses because we, we can come up with excuses all day long 
to not address the issues that we see around us. But the lawyer gets that Jesus is making a deeper point, that Jesus is driving something further, that Jesus is saying, if you want to follow God with all of your heart, your mind, your soul, and your body, and love your neighbor as yourself, that you have to allow your heart to be transformed by the love of Jesus into action. Something has to change in you. When we're following Jesus, we'll extend mercy to those who don't deserve it. Mercy applied freely demonstrates the love of Jesus. Mercy applied freely demonstrates the love of Jesus. And Jesus demonstrated this kind of love when he was here on earth. To the woman caught in adultery, Jesus extends mercy. When Jesus was around drunks, he extended mercy. To people who were angry, to liars, to thieves, to people who were hypocritical, Jesus extended mercy. He gave us an example to follow. And I want to talk to the believers in the room for just a second. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, the reason that you have a relationship with Jesus Christ is because when you deserved no mercy, Jesus offered you mercy. You are here because of the love and the mercy of Jesus Christ, that he took upon the justice that we deserved and then therefore extended mercy to you. Come, have a relationship with the Father. And if you're not a believer in this room, I want to encourage you and I want to matter-of-factly state that that same mercy is available to you this morning. That Jesus Christ is saying, I know everything that you've ever done, everything that you are currently doing, and everything that you ever will do, and I want to give you mercy, and I want you to be in a relationship with me. Scripture says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Because the gift of God is eternal life. That gift is mercy when we deserve justice. So if you're sitting here today and you haven't experienced that gift, if you haven't received that gift from Jesus through faith, then you can do that this morning and say yes to Jesus and start that relationship. So if Jesus is driving in this story, this this lawyer to change a, a theoretical mindset, like let's argue ideas between one another into a practical, yes, those are important, but let's, how does that apply to not only the lawyer's life, but our life? What are four ways that we can do that? And I see them in the story, and I see them in our life today. So I came up with four, and the first is we need to choose to overlook excuses. We have to choose to overlook excuses. And we have that choice, but we are super good. I know I am. I'll speak for myself. I am really good at coming up for, with excuses for not offering mercy and helping other people. Um, they don't deserve it, right? They're a jerk. It's the fifth time they've done this. When do I have to stop? How many times do I have to extend mercy? And I think Jesus talks about that elsewhere in Scripture. I don't have time. I'm too busy with my own life. This is maybe more personal to me, but I have five kids. I don't have time to get messy in your life, right? Or maybe they drive a Ford, and it's just like, it's, it's hopeless. Like, why would you, do, why would you help anybody? Uh, too far? We'll move on. See the hurt of others around you. See the hurt of others around you. You don't have to look that far 
to see needs around you, but you do have to look. Another confessional this morning from me on how wonderfully spiritual I can be. I can remember sitting at a stoplight in Anchorage, staring at the car in front of me to avoid contact with a fragile, needy person three or four feet on the other side of my rolled-up window. Yeah, I have to, the need is there. The needs are all around us, in our friends, our families, the people we drive by, and we have chosen then to not look. And this one's related. Have compassion. You have to let your heart connect. And I don't know about you, I guard my heart. I guard it really well. I've got like a wall around my heart because I don't want it hurt. I don't want to get involved in something that, that I may end up being on the losing end. But if I walk a mile in their shoe, if I imagine what their life might be like even for just a moment, then I can extend mercy. I can see the need and I can do something about it. And that's the last thing. Do what you can. Do what you can with what you've been given. You may have a lot of money, a lot of time, a lot of resources, a lot of ideas, a lot of education, a lot of opportunity. Or you may be somebody that has none of those things. But you can do a little. You can do your part and you can do what God is calling you to do. And I think I say if in doubt, whether to like ignore or maybe hold someone accountable for, for something or to show mercy, err on the side of mercy. I don't think you will regret it. Sometimes I think we just need to kind of let go of ourselves, stop looking for the loophole and do something. And do something we know God is calling us to do. But if you're like me, then the next thought that enters my head when I get told you should be merciful. You should be merciful over just, right? Is what about justice? You can't just let people run rampant. You can't just ignore those things. And so the question that, that comes to my mind is, well, what do you do with that? What do you do with that? And I think this is what I do with that. As I understand, mercy has more to do with your heart than their behavior. We want to make it about their behavior. Jesus is driving it into our heart. And that's really the, the, the point and the promise that we started with, with Matthew 5, 7 in that verse, that if we extend mercy, we will be blessed. We will have all the things we need to be happy in life, and we will receive mercy also. That's a great promise that we have this morning. But then I still struggle with justice. How do you know when to be just or when to be merciful? And here's the uncomfortable answer that I'm just going to let you wrestle with a little bit. That's between you and God. That's between you and God. And that's not the answer you were hoping for, right? You were hoping for some kind of a, a list. And I wish there was a book that listed everybody I'm ever going to interact with, everything they're ever going to do that I will know about. And it had over there another column that said, let justice prevail, show them no mercy, or mercy, be merciful, show them mercy. I wish there was a book like that, and there just isn't. But we do have a book that reveals the heart of our creator, that reveals the actions of Jesus as he walked on earth, and we can learn and we can understand and respond to the way God wants us to walk on this earth. We can allow God's word to permeate us and change us to where it seeps out and really just explodes out in action um, all around us. And I think we also need to understand that extending mercy isn't 
confirming the sin that may be in somebody else's life. It's not encouraging destructive behaviors. That's not what we're talking about. But it is about responding to other people around us when we've received mercy with that same level of mercy. I think, I think a lot of times we as people, and I, again, I'll speak for myself, but I think we have this in common. God makes things simple and we complicate the heck out of them. And we make them super complex so that we can avoid engaging in the action. And so I want to look at Micah chapter 6, verse 8. It's an Old Testament book. And you don't have to turn there. I'll read it for you, but I love it. It says, he, God, has told you, O man, and man here is humankind. So I'm just going to read it this way. He has told you, O human, what is good? And what does the Lord require of you? He lists three things. To do justice. To love kindness. And the word kindness there is mercy. So to love mercy. And walk humbly with God. Can you imagine the impact that we would have in our community and our friends and our families, the people that we work with, if we were to strive to become the neighbor that Jesus describes in the story of the Good Samaritan? I believe that we would start to see it in Alaska as in heaven, that we would see a transformation of the hearts of men. And that is my challenge to you. Would you pray with me? Dear Heavenly Father, I want to thank you so much for your great love for us. Lord, you led the way. You stepped out with grace and mercy. Lord, you could have just laid the hammer down, but you didn't. We are standing here because you showed us mercy. And yet I know in my heart, I am so unlikely to show mercy to other people. My knee-jerk reaction is revenge, is to let other people get what they deserve. But Lord, I don't want what I deserve. Lord, I pray that you would help align my heart with yours. Lord, you would remind me of what I have received from you that allows me to stand in the presence of the Lord God Almighty unashamed because of the blood of Jesus Christ shed for me. Lord, help us to be a people that are amazing neighbors. Would you move in our heart? Let us not just keep the truth that we know in our heads, but Lord, let it seep out through our hearts into action by the power of your spirit. We love you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Thanks for watching this message from ACF Church. Uh, We hope it's encouraged you and challenged you to be more like Jesus and to walk with Him in a closer and more profound way. If you'd like to give to the mission of ACF Church, you can do so at the link on the screen or at acfak.org. We love you and we'll see you next week.
Thanks for watching this message from ACF Church. Uh, we hope it's encouraged you and challenged you to be more like Jesus and to walk with Him in a closer and more profound way. If you'd like to give to the mission of ACF Church, you can do so at the link on the screen or at acfak.org. We love you and we'll see you next week.